0: Okay, guys, I am super excited to get to introduce our speaker tonight. We have a guest speaker. Um, He is one of my very good friends. He's kind of a big deal. Um, You may know him because he was a beast at Cedar Falls. You played basketball, football, right? Baseball, duh. I always forget that one. Um, You might also know him because he coaches everything now at the middle schools. Football, girls basketball. That's a new thing that he's taken on. He is married to a beautiful woman named Haley. She's somewhere here. That's probably his greatest accomplishment, we'll be honest about that. Um, But this is Ben. This is Ben Feenup. He's going to teach tonight. So we're glad he's here. You get a round of applause before you say a single word. Holy cow. Okay, enough. Um, So we are in this storybook uh, series where we are learning about Jesus and what the Bible tells us about God. And that the Bible tells us that God is pursuing us all In that it's the same story that God's always told throughout history, that people mess up and that he rescues them over and over. So we're going to do that tonight. I'm going to read this to start. God's Rescue Plan. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story, and although there's lots of stories in the Bible, they are all telling one big story. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story, the story of how God loves his children and how he comes to rescue them. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And although they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always. And, they'd ru- and they would long for him, lost children yearning for their home.
1: So like Nikki said, we're going to go through the story of David tonight. But before we do that, there's a few uh, background things that I want to let you know and a few characters that I want to explain to you. Um, so the first character that we're going to learn about is Samuel. And Samuel is a prophet for Israel, which is just God's chosen people. Um, and his job was to communicate uh, with God on behalf of Israel. He would even communicate to God, like even for the king. Um, so that brings me to Saul, who is the king of Israel at the time. Um, and then the last character that we're going to talk about today is David. And you'll hear a lot about him tonight, so I won't, I won't spoil
2: his story. Saul was the king of Israel. And he seemed like a good king at first. But he, get, he became proud and he stopped listening to God. He didn't obey God or love God with his whole heart. Saul can't help me with my plan, God said. I need a king who loves me and will teach my people to love me. I need a true king. God had just the one in mind. Go to Bethlehem, God told Samuel. You'll find the new king there. Samuel's job was to listen to God and tell people what God said. So Samuel went to the little town of Bethlehem and God told him to go to Jesse's house. God was going to choose one of Jesse's sons to be the new king. Well, Jesse had seven strong sons. Now, in those days, if you were going to be the king, you didn't have to be the richest or the cleverest. You had to look like a king, which meant you had to be the tallest and the strongest. So Samuel asked Jesse to bring him each son in turn, and Jesse brought the oldest, tallest, strongest son. This must be the new king, Samuel thought. He looks like a king, but God didn't choose him. You're thinking about what he looks like on the outside, God told Samuel, but I'm looking at his heart, what he's like on the inside. So Jesse showed Samuel his next oldest, tallest, strongest son, but God didn't choose him either. In fact, God didn't choose any of the seven sons. Samuel said, is that all? Jesse laughed, oh, well, there's the youngest one, but he's just the weakling of the family. He's only teeny. Bring him, said Samuel. Jesse's youngest son came running up, and God spoke quietly to Samuel. This is the one. His name was David. He has a heart like mine, God said. It's a heart full of love. He will help me with my my rescue plan, and one of his children's children's children will be the king. And that king will rule the world forever. Now, David knew nothing about being king. He was simply a shepherd boy. You will be the new king one day, Samuel told him. And sure enough, when he grew up, David became king. God chose David to be king because God was getting his people ready for an even greater king. See, once again, years later, God would say, go to Bethlehem. You'll find the new king there. And there, one starry night in Bethlehem, in the town of David, three wise men would find him.
1: So David, he was just a small, scrawny shepherd boy, but he was anointed to be the king of Israel someday by Samuel. Not long after this, he was called upon to fight the giant Goliath. Many of you probably know this story and know that David ends up killing Goliath. However, you may not know that God prepared David for that fight by sending a lion and a bear to attack his flock of sheep, and David had to kill a lion and a bear to save his sheep. It's crazy how God used David's day-to-day life to prepare him to fight Goliath and save Israel. David became a great king, but he wasn't perfect. He even got a married woman pregnant and had her husband killed so, he, so she could be his wife. Throughout all this, God was
2: working. So as Ben said, David was a shepherd, but when God looked at him, he saw a king. Sure enough, when David grew up, that's just what he became. And David was a great king. He had a heart like God's. It was full of love. Now, that didn't mean he was perfect, because he did some actually terrible things. He even murdered a man. No, David made a huge mess of his life, but God can take even the biggest mess and make it work in his plan. I need a new heart, Lord, David prayed, because mine is full of sin. Make me clean inside. God heard David's prayer. He forgave David, and he made David a promise. I will make you great, David, and one day a king will be born into your family, and he will heal the whole world. David wrote songs of prayers to God. They were called the Psalms, and God gave David these songs to sing to his people so they would know that he loved them and would always look after them like a shepherd loves his sheep. And one day, God was going to do something that would inspire thousands upon thousands of new songs. God was going to show his people once and for all just how much he loved them. Another shepherd was coming, a greater shepherd, and this shepherd was going to lead all of God's lambs back to the place where they had always belonged, close to God's heart. Thank you, Bradley. So,
1: like Nikki said, my name is Ben Feenup. Um, I go to school at UNI, and I'm going to be graduating in December. Two months with a degree in psychology. I grew up my whole life in Cedar Falls, um, and like Nikki said, I married my high school sweetheart Haley uh, this summer. I graduated from Cedar Falls only in 2015, so that's only like two and a half years ago. So I'm not 30 years old, I'm only 20. This beard is a little bit deceiving. Some people think the Bible is a book of heroes and characters showing us people that we should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but we soon find out that they aren't really heroes at all. Like Christina said last week, there are some parts of the Bible that we take literally, and this is one of them. This is the book of First and Second Samuel. It's a historical account of David's life. And it's just like you would read out of like a social studies textbook. I had three main points that stuck out um, after I read the story of David, and I'm going to say them over and over and over again. And I just hope that when I'm finished, at least one, if not all three of them, uh, stick with you. So the first one is that God sees people in his story different. He judges their heart. The second point is David understood his place in God's story. David knew that he was a sinner and he knew that he needed God's rescue plan. And finally, the last point is that God can take even the biggest mess in your life and make it work in his plan. So these three points are huge to David's story, to my story, and to your story. In traditional Hebrew culture, to be um, considered to become a king of Israel, you had to look like a king. No one really asked you about your qualifications or asked to see your resume or what you got on your ACT. They didn't ask any of that. But if you looked like Chris Hemsworth when he plays Thor, they would make you king in an instant. I mean, who wouldn't want that guy as your king? But David was just a small, scrawny shepherd. He didn't look anything like Thor. He didn't even look as big or strong or king-like as his seven other brothers. But God looked at his heart and saw that it was the heart of a king. How many of you have you seen Finding Nemo? Has everyone seen Finding Nemo? I hope so. So Nemo was essentially, he was just a runt. He was like a runt of a fish. He was small, he had an underdeveloped fin, he couldn't swim very well. But man, he had heart. Just like David. David was small. You wouldn't go into an anemone looking for a little fish like Nemo, just like you wouldn't go to Jesse's house, looking for a king like David. But it's the same way. David's heart is what made him the king, and Nemo's heart is what eventually allowed him to escape from captivity. God sees people in his story differently. He sees, he judges them by the heart. And I know this isn't like what we do in society today. We look at someone in class or at school in the hallways, and we just judge them by the outside, but God doesn't see that. He looks at their heart. If you looked at me at any point in my life, you might think, man, that guy has it together, or, man, he doesn't do anything wrong. But I've struggled with many things that you would never be able to see, and only God has seen. I'm extremely prideful, I'm very stubborn, I just want to beat you at anything, I'm very competitive and I kind of want to like embarrass you by how bad I beat you. And the list goes on and on. You can ask my wife about it, the list just goes on and on. To set up my next point, I'm going to paint you this picture, okay? So imagine you just did something that was terrible. You got a bad grade in a class, you broke something that meant a lot to your mom. Um, You got in a fight with a sibling, that happened with me a lot. You just knew your parents were going to find out about this one thing. And so you came home, and you just sat in your room. You closed the door, and you just sat there. And you knew they were going to find out about it. You didn't know if it was going to be in an hour or 20 minutes, but you just knew they were going to find out. They were going to come into your room, and they're going to have a talk with you and tell you how disappointed they are with you. And you're just going to feel terrible about it. But this is a little bit like how we uh, act when we sin and when we screw up with God. God. We go and we sit in our room and we try and hide from him. So David messed up a lot when he was king. And the biggest thing that I found, the biggest mistake he made in his life, happened like this. David was standing on his palace rooftop. He was looking out over his city, and way over there he saw a woman who was bathing on her roof. So David sent over a servant who took her and brought her back to David. David slept with her, a married woman, got her pregnant, and then had her husband killed. I mean, this this sounds, I might be watering it down a little bit, but this is terrible. This was terrible, way worse than it sounds. The thing about David, though, is that he didn't hide from God. He went to God and said, I screwed up. He didn't wait for God in his room to tell, for God to tell him how disappointed he was in him. So this leads me to my next point. David understood his place in God's story. He knew he was a sinner who needed God's rescue plan. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. David wrote most of the book of Psalms, um, and Psalms are songs or prayers or hymns written to God. And in Psalm 51, this is what David wrote. He wrote this right after he committed this act. David went to God and said, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. I screwed up. And then he went on to say, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. David pleaded with God to forgive him. David pleaded with God to take his sins from him and make him pure. A lot of the time when I sin, I try and hide it from God. I try and wait in my room until he comes to find me and confronts me. And without fail, my sin is exposed. Someone will ask me, oh, how are you doing with this struggle? Someone will be preaching about it on Sunday morning. My sin is exposed. So maybe it's happening with you right now. Maybe you're feeling like your sin is being exposed. God wants us to know our place in this story. He wants us to know that we are sinners, and he will save us. Now, I don't want you to think that just because God's whole plan is to save us whenever we sin, that we can just keep on sinning and sinning because God's going to save us. That's not the case at all. Romans 6, verses 1 through 2 say, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. By no means should we continue sinning so that God's grace is increasing. So understand who we are in the story. We all know that we're going to sin, and we all know that God forgives and we can have freedom from that sin. So the final point I want to make is that God can take even the biggest mess and make it work in his plan. David made a huge mistake when he sinned with Bathsheba. We know that a mistake means that he sinned. He lusted after another man's wife. He committed adultery and then he murdered A man, all in the same act. That's basically three out of the Ten Commandments right there. The woman's name that he uh, committed this act with was Bathsheba, and Bathsheba became pregnant from David. She gave birth to a boy, and it got very sick, and it died not long after it was born. David was sad and mourned the loss of the baby, but God came to David and made a covenant with him. God told David that from his family, there would be a great king. A king that would unite Israel and a king that would save the world, that would rule forever. Bathsheba gave birth to another son named Solomon. Solomon had kids and died, and king after king after king ruled over Israel from this family's line, from the line of David and Solomon and Bathsheba, until finally in Bethlehem, the town of David, God's promise to him came true, and Jesus was born. God chose David and his line with Bathsheba, knowing everything that was going to happen beforehand and he used it to fulfill his rescue plan. God can take even the biggest mess and make it work in his plan. So I say to you, if there's a mess in your life, if there's a sin that is controlling you, or you just keep messing up, God can and he will use you in his plan. You might not be able to see it now, you might never see it, but God is going to use you in ways that you cannot even imagine. He's going to use your mess in this story. So, again, my three main points. God sees people in his story differently, he judges them by their heart. So, for this, I challenge you to not judge people by what they look like or how they talk. Find out what's in their heart before you make a judgment. David understood his place in the story, he knew he was a sinner and he needed God. Guys, humble yourself before God and ask for his forgiveness. His forgiveness is just waiting for you. And the last point, I knew that was going to happen tonight. I knew I was going to squeak. God can take even the biggest mess and make it work in his plan. So I don't care if you think that you have the biggest mess. Look at David. Look at his mess. God used it in his plan. I started going through puberty in like fourth grade and I'm still squeaking today. I don't get it. Man. Oh, man. All right. In all seriousness, if you take nothing else from tonight or even this series... Know this, that God has been telling this story, the same story throughout all of time, throughout the whole Bible. His people mess up, and he rescues them. It's the same story of David's life, it's the same story in my life, and it's the same story in your life. We sin, he rescues, he restores. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for This space, I thank you for a ministry like Big House um, that has a partnership between Orchard and Naz. God, I thank you for all the leaders that you've gifted who are running this ministry. God, most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that your story and your plan throughout all of history has been to save each and every one of us. God, I pray for these high school students that their hearts are open to you, And that they can understand their place in the story and understand that their mess is never too big for you, God. It's all in your son's name we pray.